welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I will take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll update you on Cardinal Pell and several other high-profile cases of abuse. We'll also talk about Pope Francis's sixth anniversary as Pope. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. So, good morning from New York. How is your uh, Pope on Retreat Week going? Good afternoon from uh, cloudy and rain-threatening skies of Rome. That's a first. We thought it would be a tranquil week, but it's proved not to be Mm -hmm. with the sentencing of Cardinal Pell last night. Right, right. Last night, our time, morning in in Melbourne. Last week, Jerry and I told you about how Cardinal George Pell, one of the Pope's top advisors, was in jail after being found guilty of several counts of sexual abuse of children dating to the 1990s. On Tuesday night, Pell was sentenced to six years in prison. He'll be eligible for parole in three years and eight months, and he plans to appeal the ruling altogether in June. Well, if the appeal is successful and if it overturns the verdict, Mm -hmm. then uh, that that changes the whole game. Then he's a free man. Uh, Yeah. Got it. Well, he's a free man, but he's also still, as I wrote in my article, he's still got uh, a case to face next year. Australia's Royal Commission that investigated sexual abuse in institutions across Australia also has yet to release the chapter it wrote about Cardinal Pell. I, I think it's his life ahead is very difficult, whatever happens. Jerry, I wanted to ask you about that. So is there any chance that Cardinal Pell returns to the Vatican, or is he basically finished with the Vatican? His work in the Vatican has terminated. He's, he had a five-year appointment as head of the Vatican finances. That finished on the 24th of February of this year. He was a member of the Pope's Council of Cardinal Advisors. There are nine of them. That finished before Christmas. And so he he has no other function in the Vatican. Cardinal Pell's tenures in both of these positions expired naturally, But he hadn't been doing either of those Vatican jobs since summer 2017, when he returned to Australia to deal with the accusations against him. In short, his career in the Vatican is over. So let's talk for a minute about what that career was. Well, he's had a long career. Before he came to live in Rome, he was a member of various Vatican congregations, like the board of a company, as it were. And he was on, for example, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith for several years which is now, of course, the congregation that has opened the investigation on him. Uh, Secondly, in 2013, almost six years ago exactly, four days after his election, Pope Francis decided that he would create a council of cardinal advisors. Mm -hmm. At that time, there were eight. He decided to choose one from each continent. When it came to Oceania, the only cardinal that he could choose was Pell. There was no other cardinal. So he appointed Cardinal Pell to that advisory council. Cardinal Pell was the only cardinal from Oceania at all, or he was the only one eligible for this job? At that time, no, he was the only one at that time. Got it. I mean, there was another one, but he was about 90 or something, uh, but he'd, he'd worked in Rome. But uh, basically, it was Cardinal Pell was the only eligible candidate. So let's talk about 
him in the Vatican finances, he was brought in to be kind of a, a reformer and according to most accounts was was pretty successful at that reform. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, Pope Francis saw before he was elected Pope in the meetings of the cardinals before the election, many cardinals raised questions about Vatican finances and they say there's a lot of scandals surrounding them. We want them cleaned up. So Francis, when he became Pope, uh, gave that task to Cardinal Pell. He realized you needed an outsider. And secondly, he realized that you needed somebody really with a rhinoceros skin because you were going to encounter resistance. So by an outsider, you mean not Italian? Basically, yes. Subsequently to this, uh, the Cardinal brought many changes. For example... Each Vatican department at that point did not have a budget with uh, a program and money assigned against the program as every company would have. That was not the case. So how was money run? It was, uh, well, it was run in a not too professional a way, Mm. put it this way. Does that mean like corruption? Well, an office, a Vatican office, would have friends in some companies which would help fund their various projects. And, of course, that opened the door to various forms of influence being uh, exercised on what was happening in the Vatican. There were a lot of um, problems when, in 2013, when Francis was elected Pope, and in February 2014, when he assigned the job to Cardinal Pell to be prefect of the Secretariat for the Economy. Uh, one of the problems was the Vatican Bank. What to do with it? Who had accounts in it? What was happening to money that was in the bank? Was it being moved for good purposes or was there another kind of shady business going on? At the end of the day, they they managed to close, I think, about 1,500 accounts. Some of that shady business that was going on included money laundering, and some of the accounts even lacked basic information about who they belonged to. But then they took action against some of the managers of the bank. So a lot of cleanup has happened. They have almost got complete... Uh, Uh, approval from the European financial authorities. They have an anti-money laundering law introduced to the Vatican uh, Penal Code. And uh, they have uh, also appointed a financial authority, a supervisory authority, which uh, controls, has overall control and can do investigations. And do people like have budgets now? Now, I think every department now has a budget. Also, they've gone into the business of, you know, hiring people, making sure people have proper work contracts, not eternally precarious contracts. That was outside the financial, but still linked to it. And most of this stuff was Cardinal Pell's doing? Cardinal Pell did a lot of this. He had a his job was not completely finished when he went back to Australia, uh, but it, he had gone a long way down the road, and I think people here, even though he met a lot of resistance, uh, they, they said it was, he found it difficult to 
cooperate with some people and uh, uh, some people didn't like such interference in how they were handling money in their different departments. Got it. And do people kind of recognize that even though they may not have liked uh, having their finances managed, this is actually like a needed reform? Is he is he respected or was he respected? Well, it depends who you spoke to. So some, I think there's a general recognition that he did bring around quite a bit of change. I think this, even those who may not particularly agree with agreed with him, uh, will concede that uh, he changed things. That's the part of the Cardinal Pell story that I think it can be difficult, especially for an American audience, to square with what we know about him now. We want people to be all good or all bad, either heroes or villains. But the reality is messy. Cardinal Pell is both an impactful Vatican finance reformer and a convicted child sexual abuser. Cardinal Pell's wasn't the only high-profile case of a bishop being held accountable for sexual abuse this week. We also have a few more cases that show us both how civil authorities and church authorities are starting to hold bishops accountable. We have to remember that bishops and priests have to follow two sets of laws, the church laws and the state laws. It's similar to how people in the U.S. have to follow state laws and federal laws, and they don't always match up. That's what we'll see in these cases. These systems operate independently of each other, but they also influence each other. And in the case of sexual abuse, we see how the church might take cues from how the state handles these cases, or even how one diocese might take cues from another. Let's start in France, where a judge has found Cardinal Philippe Barberin guilty of failing to report sexual abuse of a child, which makes him the first Catholic cardinal to be criminally convicted of cover-up. He's been given a six-month suspended jail sentence, and his lawyers have submitted an appeal. Do you think that, you know, after his appeal, if his appeal is turned down, that, that there would be a church investigation into this? Or is this not the kind of thing that they investigate? I mean, t- today they do investigate cover-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've not heard that they are in, actually uh, there is an investigation underway on his cover-up. I haven't heard that, no. This doesn't mean it's not happening, but we haven't been told of it. Got it, got it. Do we have any idea like how they might propose dealing with bishops who cover up? Would it be removal from ministry like we talked about last week, or would it be well, something else? In, in was it... Uh, in that document of Pope Francis, was it June 2016, uh, the, like a loving mother, he introduced the, the law that negligence or cover-up was grounds for removal from your role as a bishop. Mm-hmm. Have they actually been removing people who do that, though? Because the policy is one thing and the practice is sometimes another. I think there have been cases, yes. This week, we also saw two cases of bishops being barred from ministering in the Diocese of Baltimore. Bishop Michael Bransfield, who is Bishop of Wheeling, West Virginia, was investigated for financial improprieties and for sexual harassment of an adult. Bishop Gordon Bennett, a Jesuit who is Bishop of Mandeville, Jamaica, was also accused of sexual harassment of an adult. Both of these cases were investigated through a new system for reporting bishops that the Diocese of Baltimore put in place in November. That system is one of the first of its kind in the U.S., where the systems that are in place to report priests often don't include reliable ways to report bishops for abuse. Do you think it's likely that any other bishops kind of pick up this system as a best practice and maybe start applying it locally? Well, I I think it's possible because it was discussed here, it was mentioned here 
also by Cardinal Supic in his speech, as one of the ways ahead. At the abuse summit? At the summit, yes. And also remember Cardinal O'Malley in Boston has now introduced a slightly different system where, but set up a kind of a hotline where uh, bishops and the cardinal himself can be uh, denounced and uh, there's a procedure for for dealing with uh, denunciations. Jerry told me it's possible that the Vatican will include this system in the list of best practices that will come out as part of the Handbook for Handling Sexual Abuse Cases that we talked about last episode. And even if the system isn't included in that book, it's possible other bishops around the country and around the world will choose to implement something like this in their dioceses, or even that the U.S. bishops will consider taking it up on a national scale at their June meeting. We're recording this episode on Wednesday, March 13th, the sixth anniversary of Pope Francis's election. So I wanted to take a few minutes today to ask Jerry about Francis's legacy. When Pope Francis became Pope, uh, the thing that really struck a lot of us right away was just the difference in style, right? Because we we're so used to John Paul II and then Benedict, and then you know Francis was just so different in the in the way he did things. Um, but you know when when Francis is no longer Pope, things about style might might pass away. I wanted to ask you what changes that he has made that that will outlive him. I don't think it's just a question of style; it's a way of being. Right, it's a way right. of being Pope. Uh, and uh, he has started processes, I think, that are difficult to roll back. Things like the sex abuse summit? Well, for example, uh, when bishops from different countries, as the United States bishops will do this year, when they visit the, the Vatican for their five-yearly visit and visit Vatican departments, they will now find a very different culture, a welcoming culture. In the past, the bishops went to each Vatican department, and it was as if kind of schoolboys going with to get their report card. Right. You've talked a little about this before, about how they would kind of go in and be read, you know, the riot act or whatever, and didn't really get a chance to speak. Now it's a, it's a totally different. It's a very welcoming thing. You come, they listen. They start by listening. The Pope himself doesn't give any document of marching orders at the end. He spends some hours with the bishops. And this has gone down very well. And I would be surprised if this does not continue. Secondly, uh, Francis has really reached out to the poor people. I I, I cannot see his immediate successor going back to a more monarchical, princely style of being Pope. Uh, uh, the contrast would uh, would be very difficult. I mean, at the end of this year, I think he's going to make maybe eight to ten new cardinals. And if this happens, he will have made more than 50% of the College of Cardinals. In other words, the people who will elect his successor will have been created by Francis. Uh, thirdly, he, he has this, he has opened up on a lot of taboo subjects. Uh, so people cannot say, well, it's a closed question because he, he has opened up on a lot of them. What are some of those questions? So, for example, the question of the, the divorce, communion to the divorce and remarried and how you deal with uh, unmarried uh, couples that are living together but not married, how, how do you minister to them? Also, the question of how the church uh, relates to the LGBT community uh, how the church uh, relates to 
people's in in different uh, stages of life at uh, he has opened up a lot of new horizons and he himself has gone out of his way to welcoming people so jerry we talked a little bit about how the pope has you know appointed cardinals and bishops who are likely to kind of continue his way of doing things um, and that's part of institutional change. But, you know, there are other things as well, right? I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the other kind of concrete institutional actions that he's taken that will last for decades to come. I think, uh, you know, Francis is reforming the Roman Curia, but he has always insisted on one thing, that you can change the structures as much as you like, if you, but if you don't change the hearts and minds of people, the result will be the same as before. And he's made this very clear. He believes in what he says, starting processes. In other words, you open up new ways of approaching questions, new ways of doing things. You start from uh, concrete reality, not coming in from ideas of how you think people should be or what they should be doing. Well, Jerry, thank you for your insights this week. Um, and I hope that the rest of the week is a little bit more calm. Thank you. And as we close, I remember very much at this time, six years ago, we were waiting for the result of the election to see if we would get white smoke. Mm-hmm. That's a very strong memory in my mind as we close this evening. What was that like? Were You, you were in St. Peter's Square, right? I was in St. Peter's Square. I was in a television booth over the square with the spotlight on the Sistine Chapel Mm -hmm. waiting for smoke to come out. Oh, it was nighttime for you. Yes, yes. And it was cold and it was wet. I was on spring break laying on a beach and I checked my phone and saw Ah, the news. Well, uh, (laughs) this time I am happy I was where I was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Jerry, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Look forward to that, Colleen. Inside the Vatican is produced by me, Colleen Dully. Our executive producer is Eric Sundrup. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Karen Freeman. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Oliver Lazarus. Our studio manager is Leopold Stubner. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media, I'm Colleen Dully with Gerard O'Connell. See you next week.